0: Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast. We are so glad you're with us. We're a Bible-based church from Ontario, Canada, and together we're on a mission to reach people far from Christ and see them become devoted followers of Him. The greatest gift God has ever given to us, well, is Himself. This Christmas, we're focusing in on the importance of God's presence in our lives. If you're feeling alone or exhausted or just in need of hope, I've got good news for you. God is with us. With that, let's turn over to Pastor Nate in part one of his presence series, With Us. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Great to see everybody. Uh, at the end of our service today, we're going to be sharing in the Lord's Supper. So if you didn't get a chance to grab one of these little cups, please uh, uh, find a moment to, to do that during uh, the rest of the service so we can participate together. We have a baptismal tank set up here. As you know, we have three uh, individuals getting baptized in the second service today. We never know uh, what service people are going to get baptized in, so I assure you that we're recording it and we'll be able to share that in the next few weeks so you guys as a church can celebrate with them and encourage them along their journey of faith. It's, it's so exciting to see. Well, today, it's again, I can't believe it's Christmas. It's December already. It kind of snuck up on me again, as it always does. And, uh, you know, during the, during the month of December, we often teach on Christmas. We focus in on the birth story. I don't know if you know this, but the birth story of Christ is actually quite short in the Bible, and uh, every year trying to come up with creative sermons on the same few passages is really tricky. Uh, but uh, even though the story is, is quite uh, short, its significance is, is not small. And uh, what we want to do is I want to talk uh, to you about the significance of Christ's coming And, you know, as I think about Christmas, when I was a kid, I remember distinctly thinking, because as a kid, I read the Christmas story, I grew up in a Christian home, and I remember reading the story, and I understood that the wise men brought gifts to Jesus. And even as a kid, like seven, eight years old, I thought to myself, well, that's strange that we give each other gifts. Like, I understand giving Jesus a gift is his birthday, right? I've never been to a friend's birthday and got a gift, it never happened. It only happened on my birthday. So like, as a kid, I'm like, this doesn't make sense. Why are we giving each other gifts? Jesus' birthday makes sense to give him gifts. Jesus is a king makes sense to bring him a gift. Why? And I wrestled with this for a number of months, and then I decided I didn't really care to figure out what the answer was because I love presents. <laughs> Who here likes presents? Okay, you're honest. Okay, a bunch of honest crowd. Hey, hands going up. Yeah, love presents. As a kid, like many uh, kids, the the greatest part of Christmas was what was going to be under the tree. What was going to be in the package that my parents had prepared. In our modern culture today, we have things like the Amazon wish list, right? Where you can go on and you can like, you can note everything that you want. You can share it with your friends and family, right? You can do that. That's great. When I was a kid, there was no such thing. The internet barely existed when I was a kid. We had something called the Sears Wish Book. Yeah. The Sears Wish Book, for those of you younger in the audience, was a color catalog from Sears. It was thick, it was beautiful, it was Christmas stuff, but inside the Sears catalog was everything that you could ever want for Christmas. They had clothing, nobody wants that for Christmas. They had blenders, Uh, they had the toy section was glorious, electronics, televisions, all of that stuff was was in there, underwear, that was in there. We were not allowed to look at the underwear section, you had to skip past that a um, few of you feeling guilty right now. Um, so the Sears wish book had all these things. And my brothers and I, we'd fight over this thing. We'd fight over it because we we're like, I want all it, It's my turn. And we'd go through and I would find the thing I wanted desperately was, it's called the grasshopper. Now for though it's not a bug. It was a radio controlled car. It was a dune buggy. And it was, it was amazing. A friend of mine had one. And I, I remember going to the page and I circled the grasshopper. I'm like, that's what I want. I put my name on it in the book. And I, Dog-eared the page so my parents would find it. And um, I never did get the grasshopper, but, so don't feel bad for me. It's all right. We're not, the theme today is not disappointment. The theme is <laughs> this presence. As a kid, my brothers and I, we were just so excited what we'd get. We'd open up, you know, the flurry of wrapping paper and all that stuff. But, you know, as I became an adult, um, the gifts that were under the tree meant less and less to me with each passing year. It's particularly when I became a parent, and all of a sudden, I didn't really care what was under the gift for me. What I cared about was who I was spending time with. And so my excitement about present actually began to shift into this a, ooh and awe an, ah, moment because we changed the spelling of the word. I know. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate that. Present. <laughs> it became about who, it was about who I was with. It was about the people, right? That's way more important than what we get. And what I want to do is over the next three weeks, I want to talk about the significance of the presence of God. The presence of God. And I want to talk about how the Christmas story connects to this theme. And essentially what we have when we think about the presence of God is we have the greatest gift that God has ever given us. And that's himself. It's not a car. It's not a a spouse. It's not a kid. It's not any of those things. It's Actually, his presence is the, the very greatest gift that we could ever have in this world. The Christmas story, which we're going to look at briefly, is, uh, is, is a story that happened 2,000 years ago, the birth of Christ, and we have a couple accounts of it in the Gospels. But the Christmas story doesn't stand alone. It's not like the Christmas story is. It's, the Christmas story is part of a larger story, the story of a broken and fallen world. Did you know that we live in a broken, fallen, and sinful world? And the Bible teaches us that, but you don't need the Bible to know that because you can just, you can literally just turn on the news, And you see what's happening in Russia and Ukraine. You see what's happening in the Middle East. You see what's happening in in many countries around the world, even in our own country. And you go, that shouldn't be like that. And so we know that we live in a broken and fallen and sinful world. And we want God to fix it all. But what God wants to do, and this is what we see throughout Scripture, is that he wants to come and insert his presence into this broken world. And he wants to insert his presence into our broken lives and into our families and into our homes. And so we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 1. Let me set it up young man by the name of Joseph and he's engaged. He's betrothed to a young woman named Mary. You know the story. Now in those days an engagement wasn't like today. Today an engagement is like a promise. Sometimes those promises get broken but in in those days it was actually a legal agreement like for them to not get married there would be a divorce. It was really significant and you can imagine how Joseph might have felt when he found out that this young woman he was waiting to marry is pregnant and he knows for sure it was not him. And, and he's upset, and he decides to do the honorable thing, and he decides to divorce her quietly, not to destroy her reputation, but to try to, try to get this sorted out. And, and in this process, he has a dream one night, and an angel of the Lord appears to him with these words in Matthew 1, beginning of verse 20. The angel says, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This thing that's happened, it's not scandal. This is the plan of God. This is something that God is doing in her. And he goes on to say, She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their what? Let's say that again. Save people from what? Sin. Sin. See, the Bible actually teaches that the greatest problem in our world that needs to be solved is the problem of sin. It's not Al-Qaeda. It's not COVID. Let's throw that out there for fun. <laughs> All right. It, it's, 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 it's not climate change. I know everyone, uh, everyone wants to convince you climate change is the biggest issue. The, the Bible actually teaches that the biggest issue is, is sin. Greedy, sinful hearts will set off nuclear weapons, start wars, destroy families. That's that's the problem. The the root issue is in the heart of people. And what we discover is that God had a plan to send his son into the world to address the greatest problem this world faces, which is sin in the hearts of men and women. you with me? He will save his people from their sins. He goes on and says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Now, if you read Matthew's gospel, it's written to a Jewish audience. And one of the One of the key things that Matthew is trying to do as he writes his story of Jesus' life is he is trying to convince Jews who would read this that Jesus isn't just like this one-off prophet or this one-off special guy, but he is actually the fulfillment and the continuation of this entire narrative story of God and his people. And he does that by constantly quoting verses from the law and the prophets, looking back to show his Jewish audience that Jesus is their Messiah. Now, here's he quotes Isaiah 7, verse 14, and he says this, Behold... The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means, and give us the, the description, God with us. Can we say those three words together? God with us. These three words should not be overlooked. Their significance is so great. I would argue that this is the story of the Bible. That from the time that man fell in sin and the world was broken, that God has been working a plan to be with us, to redeem us, to save us. Are you with me? And throughout history, he continues to reveal himself more and more and more and more, and he continues to do things to move in the direction of our salvation and redemption. It is about God being with us. And so for the next three weeks, I want to focus on his presence, the greatest gift that he gives to us. Now, you might think to yourself, okay, that's great, but if God is everywhere, then surely he's present right now with me. And you'd be right in saying that. You could say, if God loves the world, if he so loved the world, then he loves me. And, and in a sense, you're right. But did you know that there's more than one way that you can know somebody, and there are different levels to this thing? Let me give you an example. Uh, many years ago when I was in Bible college, uh, during the summer months, uh, we got to go across Canada. And they selected some musicians. I was one of them. Um, and uh, a group of us got into a little van, and we went across Canada for six weeks, every, almost every night playing in a different church, doing ministry, uh, sharing the gospel and singing and all that stuff. So it was great. Sitting in front of me in the van, this far away, was this lovely young lady named Jessica. Yeah. and For those that are new around here, Jessica is, that's my lovely wife who was up here hosting this morning. Um, and, and so we were with each other for six weeks every day, this far apart but we were not with each other. And I know that we weren't with each other because we'd we'd show up at a church and we'd be setting up our instruments and some nice lady would come up in the church and be like, are you two together? And Jess would be like, no, 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 (laughs) no. She didn't know. that What that meant to me was this is a good challenge and I accepted the challenge. You get the point. There's different levels of with. There's different levels of with. You can be with somebody, but not be with them. Sometimes my family will be like, Dad, you know, can you just be present with us right now? I'm like, I'm here, I'm present. They're like, no, you're not. You're with us, but you're not with us. And for some of you listening today, you may not know this, but you might just assume, well, okay, God is everywhere, he's with me. But can I tell you, there is another level of with that you can have, that you can experience God's presence in a deeper and more profound, more personal, more life-changing way. And, and it, we see throughout Scripture that God's desire is exactly that, to be with us, to be Emmanuel, God with us. So today, um, as we open up the Scriptures, we see throughout the story, the overarching story of the Bible from beginning to end, God is working his way back into relationship with us to, to bridge the gap that was broken because of sin. And we see this, God reveals himself a little bit to Noah, and then he reveals himself a little bit more to Abraham, makes a covenant with Abraham, says, I'm going to reveal myself even more through your descendants. And through your descendants, the nation of Israel, the whole world will be blessed, speaking of Jesus. And then he reveals himself to Isaac and to Jacob. And eventually one of their descendants named Moses, God shows up in a burning bush. We learned about that a week or two ago. And God sends Moses and he delivers the people and he says, I'm going to establish the land. Like this is the whole story. And along the way, God's revealing more and more and more about who he is and revealing himself to his people. So today we're going to jump into a text that is a very strange Christmas text. Exodus 33. The context, Moses has done exactly what God told him. He led the people out. He brings them to Sinai. He goes up, and God's like, I'm going to reveal myself to my people in a special way. Here's the Ten Commandments. And Moses is like, oh, this is amazing. We have this revelation from God. I'm going to bring it. And he comes down the mountain to the people, and they're all worshiping a golden calf. And they're partying, and their clothes are falling off. And and Moses just smashes the tablets. God's angry. Moses is angry. The people are in disarray. And God essentially says to Moses in Exodus 33, he says, "Uh, you take them into the land. I'm not going with you. And we're going to hear Moses' response. Exodus 33, verse 12. Moses says to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moses is like, I am not doing this alone. That's actually a pretty smart move, because honestly, I think sometimes our biggest problem, at least this is mine, sometimes my biggest problem is I try to carry everything alone. I try to carry what is not mine, and I try to do it alone. Moses is like, I'm not doing that. I'm not carrying this alone. Let me ask you a question today. What are you carrying alone this Christmas? I want you to think about that. Maybe it's the weight of your family. You feel like, I wish I had a big, large one of those travel backpacks, you know, the big hiking ones I could throw on my back just to show you. So you strap on your family, and you are dragging your family along, and you're like, I got to do this, it's all on me, and you're just carrying this weight alone. Maybe it's financial burdens, loss of a loved one, mental health challenges. Maybe you're trying to hold your marriage together. Feels like you're the only one doing work, nobody looking around, but you got this thing, and you're just like, I'm just going to make it work. Or maybe you're trying to pick up the pieces of a broken relationship. I'm saying all of us are carrying weights. And the question I'm asking you is, what are you carrying alone that maybe you shouldn't be? Moses is like, I cannot carry this alone. And as you're going to see, he's going to be like, God, if you're not with this, if you're not with me, if you're not helping me carry this, I can't do it because I cannot do it alone. I think it would be wise to say that sometimes. I don't know if anyone else is like me. Sometimes I find it easier to help other people than to ask for help, be it from people around me or even from God. Sometimes, like, I'm over here struggling, God's just waiting for me. It's like, you're going to ask? I'm ready to help. Oh, I got this. I got this. I'll do it myself. That's what I do. Moses, like, I'm not doing that. He continues, he says, Yet you have said, I know you by name. Moses, like, you're telling me, God, that you know me. You're telling me that I've found favor in your sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order that I might find favor in your sight. So Moses says, you know me. I don't know you like I need to. Moses is like, what I need to know, I need to know you. I need to know your ways. In fact, what we're going to see in just a moment is that he actually wants to see God's face. He wants to know God personally. He wants to go deeper in his relationship with God And then Moses says this, I love this statement, consider too, he's talking to God, consider too, this nation is your people. It's like, these aren't even my people. I'm trying to haul this weight, and you're like, go do it by yourself. He's like, I'm not doing it without you. I can't do it, and besides, they're your people. Sometimes we're carrying weights that are not ours to carry. They're not our responsibilities. I have to be reminded of this sometimes, because as a pastor, I care about every person that's part of our congregation. I want to be there for everybody. I want to help everybody. And sometimes I have to be reminded, it's like, I feel the weight of this. I'm like, oh wait, it's not my church. You're not my people, you're God's people. And and I can't do it alone and neither can you. Sometimes as a parent, I feel like I got to carry the load of my family, my kids, right? Whether they're little kids or whether they're adult kids, you still carry weight. Can I get an amen? Yeah, and it feels like, oh, if they do something wrong, then it's all on me because I didn't parent them right and guilt and shame. And it's like, sometimes it's like, man, I, I can't. And we have to have these moments like Moses. I call them the this is beyond me moment. Anybody ever had one of those? <laughs> this is beyond me moment. I, I, I can't. I can't. Do it. I like to call it, too, the this is beyond my pay grade moment. <laughs> you're at work and someone's in your face and I want a discount and give me a refund. You're like, you know what? <clears throat> Let me call the manager. This is beyond my pay grade. And it that's the best thing, unless you're the manager. Or <laughs> the owner, right? Then you're like, darn it, I wish I was just a worker. We we send it up. And Moses is saying, Man, this is this is not my responsibility. This is I'll do it, but I'm only doing it with you. Imagine if we just took that this Christmas, said, you know what? I got a lot to go through this Christmas. There's all this stuff, and my family and finances, but I'm not doing it without you, God. I'm not doing this alone, because this isn't all mine. It's your people, your family, it's your business. Help me. And then God responds. So God said, I'm not going with you. And Moses is like, I'm not going without you. And God responds to this. This is so cool. When we say, God, we want your presence, he responds in this way. He says to Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you what? Rest. Rest. As I'm looking at this passage, I think to myself, I wonder if Jesus had this very passage in mind. When in, in Matthew's gospel, he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is light. And he says, you'll find rest for your souls. Jesus is like, don't do it alone. Do it with me, together. And if you do it with me, you'll have my strength. And if you do it with me, you'll have my presence. And if you do it with me, you will find rest, even in the most difficult situations. I wonder whether Jesus was thinking of this passage when he he said that. Verse 15, and he said to him, this is Moses now, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. He's like, we're not going without you. For how shall it be known? that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people. How will the nations around know that we've found favor with you? He says, is it not your going, let's say it together, with us? Is it not your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? Moses says, "If, if the nation of Israel goes forward without God, what distinguishes us from any other nation? We're just another tribe. The thing that makes us unique, the thing that makes us special is your presence. And the application for this is is actually quite simple. What do you think distinguishes a Christian from a Buddhist or a Hindu? What do you think distinguishes a Christian from an atheist or an agnostic? There's one thing, one significant thing, and that is the presence of Christ. It's, It's not your goodness that makes you a Christian. It's His grace that makes you a Christian. Right? It's not your performance that makes you a Christian. Like, I'm performing and I'm doing this and I'm not doing that. It's actually his presence in your life that makes all the difference. And by the way, when you have his presence and he's with you, it changes you and you begin to be transformed from the inside out. Right? That's what's amazing. It's his presence. His presence is what distinguishes us as believers. His, his presence. Sometimes I see Christians walking around and they're like, well, those people... Those sinners, we're saints, you know that? We're saints, yeah, and, and they do those things, but I would never, and you can almost see their nose turning up. It's pride. It's, it's not about my goodness, it's about his grace. It's not about what I do or don't do, it's about his presence. Man, being a Christian, taking communion, we're gonna take communion a little bit. This, this is about me and you saying, I'm trusting in your presence, I'm trusting in what you did, I'm trusting in you, you're the one that makes the difference in my life. That's what we're doing. That's what's going to happen next service when people get in the tank. They're basically going under the water, and they're going, I'm dead to myself, and I'm living for Christ. I'm putting my trust in him. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Let's continue the story. Verse 17, we'll read through quickly. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. God's like, you've asked me for my presence, and I'm going to be present and go with you. Moses said to him, (laughs) I love this please show me your glory. I actually believe what Moses wanted is to see God's face. Uh, The Hebrew word that's translated in our text presence, you know, he says my presence will go with you. The Hebrew translation is actually the word face. So when it's talking about presence, it's talking about the face of a person. It's personal. It's close. It's intimate. And and Moses says, show me your glory. This is his next request. Show me your glory. And God responds and says, I will make my goodness pass before you. He's like, show me your glory. God's like, I can't do that. I'm going to show you my goodness. Show me your face. And he says, actually, you're going to see my backside. He's going he's to tuck Moses into a, a crack in the rock, and he's going to walk past him. And so Moses is going to see the back of God as he walks past him, but he cannot see his face And he said, I'll make my goodness pass before you. I'll proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Verse 20, says, but he, God, said this. You cannot see my face. You can't see my glory. You can't see the full revelation of who I am. It's too much. For man shall not see me and live. Here's the idea. Even Moses had limited access think about this Moses talking to God God's like I'm with you and we're going but Moses couldn't see his face he couldn't see his glory there was levels to God's presence that were not available to even Moses the great prophet what's interesting is there's a transition happening in the story so as I said they're at Mount Sinai and all of the they're camping anybody ever been camping Camping's fun. You ever done group camping? So they had like the tribe of Benjamins camping in a big pod over here. And you got Judah and all the different tribes are all camping. And guess what? Moses pitches a tent away from the camp. So imagine all the tents, million people living in tents. And then over here, there's a tent and Moses goes in there and God meets him there. It's a special tent, but it's outside the camp. Okay, And after this conversation... When Moses is like, we're not going without you. We need your presence. God actually instructs Moses to build a tabernacle. This would be a place of worship. And the tabernacle gets moved from outside the camp to the middle of the camp. I got a, an image that will throw up on the screen. There's a, an image. You know, when you see all the tents around it. So God's tent was outside the camp, and now his tent comes inside the camp. And God sets up a sacrificial system and a priesthood and a way for God's people to come and be with them. I'll read to you from Exodus 40 verse 34. It says um, it says then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. So this is the inauguration. They've set up this tent. It's basically made out of poles and curtains, just kind of like our church. And they had all these poles and curtains they would move it around and God's presence came and filled this inner room behind a curtain. And it says this. It says the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter the tent. Because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God's presence was so there that even Moses couldn't enter. And it continues. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. So a cloud would descend. They're like, God's with us. Right in the middle of our camp. He's so close. He's closer than he's ever been. We can see the cloud. We can see fire by night. And then... The next morning, the cloud would get up and start moving, and they would pack up the tent, they would pack up God's house, and they would all pack up their tents, and they would follow God wherever he led. This is cool, right? So you see God's like revealing himself and being more and more present with his people as we move forward, but even though God's tabernacle, his home, was right in the middle of the camp, the people still had limited access. In other words, as a Jewish person, you couldn't just take an animal and walk in and sacrifice it to God and talk to God. Like you, you couldn't do that. All of that had to be done by priests. So you could see God was like with us. He's in our camp, and there's his tent, and we can see that he's there, but I can't go in and talk to him. There's still a separation. God is in the tent behind a big curtain, and even the priest could only go in there once a year when God's presence was there. So there's this limited access. Everybody say, limited access. Okay? But there's more access than there was previously, and you see this trend of God moving closer and closer and closer to his people. And this brings us full circle to our text in Matthew's Gospel. It says this, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The very God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who longed to be with his people but was separated from his people because of sin, enters into human flesh. I want to draw to your attention a few of the words. John the Apostle who walked with Jesus, one of Jesus' closest disciples after Jesus' death and resurrection, would reflect back on what he saw and what he experienced with Jesus. And he says this in John chapter 1, verse 14. He says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. John says, The very God who spoke and created the heavens and the earth was born into this world. Think about that. The God that existed in the cloud and the fire and that was behind a curtain that no one could access or see, he entered into human history in a body so that not so that he could just be with his people in the general proximity, but so he could touch people with his hands, so he could heal people, so that he could look them in the eye and smile and hold them. That's what God did. And he dwelt among us. And here's what he says. Notice these words. And we have seen his what? His glory, the very thing that Moses longed to see, the face of God. John's like, we saw it every time we looked in Jesus' eyes. We saw the very essence, the nature, the character, the love of God that Moses and Isaiah and Ezekiel and all the prophets of old longed to see. We got to see it because he came to be with us. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. A few verses later in verse 17, he says this, The law was given through Moses. Moses came to go, these are all the things you shouldn't do. Because if you do these things, it makes God angry and you need to be punished for it. We needed to know that. He says, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. No one has ever seen God. And then he says this, the only God who is at the Father's side, he's talking about Jesus, he has made him known. John says, when we hear the words of Jesus, we're hearing the voice of our Father. When we look at the face of Jesus, we see his love. When we see, see Jesus' heart, we see the heart of the Father. Jesus truly revealed God in a way that Abraham and Moses could never understand. Isn't beautiful and amazing? Jesus reveals the Father to us. And I want to close with this last passage. It's found in Hebrews chapter 4. Some of you will be familiar with it. But in Hebrews 4, the writer of Hebrews is talking about the sacrificial system I talked about where the priests would bring the sacrifices for the people to God. So the people stayed outside the tent. They were distant from God and someone did it for them. And here's what he says in Hebrews 4 verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest, speaking about Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession." For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted just as we are yet without sin. We don't have a standoff priest that's better. Than, like, he understands our suffering. He understands our pain. He understands our hurt, our anguish, our struggle. He's experienced it. He's lived it. He's lived the human experience. And he suffered and all of it. And we have a priest who takes our request directly to the Father, and his name is Jesus He finishes with this, let us then with confidence. I want you to understand how radical this is. With confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace and find grace to help in time of need. Because of what Christ did, because he came, we have unlimited access to God through Christ. Do you understand that? The last three weeks we've been talking about prayer, and it's like, you can talk to your Heavenly Father anytime, anywhere. And I think sometimes we dismiss that. We're like, of course, he's my daddy. But like, do you understand the fact that we can talk directly to the God of heaven and earth, and he hears our every prayer? It's all connected to what Christ did. Like, that kind of presence is only available because of what Christ did. His coming to this earth changed absolutely everything. We didn't deserve it. He did it. So we have a God now who is not distant and far off, but is near and present to all those who cry out to him, to all those who say, God, I'm not going forward without you, and, and he enters into our space and his presence. Now, it's in our lives, and when we invite him, he comes. Now, I want you to think about the nativity scene. We've got one on our mantle. Maybe some of you guys have one at home, but we've got like, this thing on the wall, and all the little nativity characters are there. And even though, like, if you actually read the Christmas story, they weren't necessarily all there. Oh, there's a little nativity scene. Isn't that pretty? Even though they probably all weren't there at the same time visiting Jesus, I think the nativity scene is powerful, and here's why. All are welcome. Think about it. In the nativity scene, we have rich people and we have poor people. We have kings and rulers, and we have commoners, shepherds. We have men, we have women, we have animals in a common place like a manger all people gather in the midst of chaos and there was lots of chaos we'll learn about that next week there was chaos all around the land he comes with his presence that all may come that all may come which is really exciting cuz I don't know which one of those characters I am but I know I'm welcome because of what Christ did today uh, we're gonna share in communion if you've got um, one of these cups you can grab it and You know, try to connect the dots here for us as we think about this larger story. Do you know that Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, um, he took bread and he took cup and they were sharing very likely in what was called the Passover meal. And for the Jewish people, every single year Passover was a sacred festival. And what they were doing is they were remembering the night that God delivered them from Egypt. But more specifically, the last plague in Egypt was the angel of death was coming to kill all the firstborn. And God said, to protect his people, he said, I want each family to kill a lamb, and to take the blood, and to put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. And if you do that, that lamb will die instead of your kid, instead of the firstborn. And the angel of death passed over, and they were all saved and delivered, and ultimately it led them out of Egypt. And so the Jews, every single year, would celebrate Passover, Passover. I'm excited about Good Friday. Good Friday's, uh, you know, not that far away. But when we get to Good Friday, we're having a Messianic Jewish rabbi come to explain the Passover feast and how it, Jesus fulfilled it all. It's going to be super exciting, so put that on your calendar. It's going to be wonderful. But when Jesus was celebrating this bread and this cup, it was part of this meal. And Jesus was saying when he took the cup and the bread, he was like, I'm the lamb. I'm the sacrificial lamb. I'm the one that's going to die so you can be free. I'm the one who on the cross is going to take all of the anger, frustration, judgment of God for the sins of the world on me so that you can have grace. Unbelievable. And there's a couple passages in the Gospels that explain what happens is when Christ is on the cross and he breathes his last breath, the Scriptures tell us that at that very moment, The veil in the temple, there was a a room where God's sacred presence was in the temple. And at the moment of his death, that veil was torn from top to bottom. God was like, I'm no longer behind a curtain because of what Christ did. You can have access to my presence anytime, anywhere. And God moves another step closer to you and to me. So I want to take this together. If you want to open up that top skin, and we're going to take this bread. Jesus says, "This, this is my body broken for you. If you're here today and you're like, I don't know if I should participate, if you're trusting in Christ, this is for you. Take this bread, and we receive it with thanksgiving, his body broken for us. And afterward, he took the cup. said, this is the blood of the new covenant. God was making with us. He made a covenant with Noah. made a covenant with Abraham. made a covenant with the nation of Israel and Moses and he wants to make a covenant with you that is better. And we receive it with thanksgiving. Father, thank you this morning that you're not a God who's distant and far off. That you have made a way for us to come to you bring our requests before you, to know you in a way that even Moses and Abraham could not. God, I pray that we would be the kind of people who continue to move in your direction and call out to you, that we wouldn't be stubborn like mules and try to carry all the weight of this life on our own, but that we would call out to you and say, God, if you're not going with me, I'm not going. I can't carry this alone. And we know, God, that when we come to you, You assure us you'll come to us and give us peace and rest. Thank you for every person in this place, God, as we look to the Christmas season, the weeks ahead, and all the busyness. May we do so walking with you, knowing and experiencing your presence each and every day. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, that's it from us. Thank you so much for joining. Please stay connected with us. Be sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's Pathway Church PTBO. Hey, God is at work in this world, and we feel so blessed that we get to be part of what he is doing. Have a great day wherever you're at, and we hope to see you soon.